in prayer. Father, thank you for a beautiful morning and for bringing us out safely to your house to study your word. I pray now that you would guide our discussion, our thoughts as we open the text of your scripture to learn from it. Teach us now, Father. We thank you again for this day in Christ's name. Amen. How many people did their homework and read the passages? Okay. Y'all get a gold, gold smiley face. Um, Don has these little smiley face stickers, and I used to give them out in class. A little gold smiley face. Yeah, a little sticker on it. Yeah, a little gold stars. Um, last week, we started the topic of um, the discussion of the role of women in the church, and um, really, we just introduced the topic to a large extent. I'll go back here and just quickly go over the things, because then I want to pick up with the text of the scripture. Three significant points. By the way, everything I'm talking about is out here on this site, and there's a link on the main page, General Articles, and I think there's a document called Women in the Church. It's out there. So everything I'm talking about, you can find out there um, and download. Um, it's not an issue of essential orthodoxy. What does that mean? You can go to a church with a woman pastor and not go to hell. All right? That's what, it, that's what I'm saying. Um, it's not essential orthodoxy. It's not a matter of value or intrinsic worth. This is one of the big things that people camp on. They say, well, you're saying women are inferior. No, that's not what is being said here at all. Is a woman inferior to the husband in a home? No, there's no inferiority there. Um, but they do complement each other. And they have a different role. And that's what we're talking about. It's not value or worth or, or intelligence or anything like that. We're just talking about the role. But it is a watershed issue in the sense that it's going to really make you and make your church go one way or another way. So it is important. It's not essential orthodoxy, but it is important um, to talk about. Because whatever we do, you must admit, we might want to do it in accordance with what? The scripture, whatever the scripture says. So this is where you have to sort through the issues. All right? And when we looked at um, the Old Testament, we noted that except for rare exceptions in 4,000 years of Old Testament history, there were no continuing women prophetesses. Um, four, five women were called prophetess um, in the sense that on one occasion, on a rare occasion, they did say something or do something. But as far as a continuing office like an Elijah or an Elisha or an Isaiah or a Jeremiah, there are, are no women prophetesses in the Old Testament. Um, and you can go and you go through those. That's all on the, my paper too as well. Um, there are only, by the way, only two examples of women leadership in the Old Testament as far as civic leadership. Deborah, um, during the time of the judges. And I would hate to say, I, I would hate to think that we would want to pattern anything after the time of the judges because what was the time of the judges like? Chaos. Chaos, bottom of the barrel. It yeah. was the worst time. And also Athaliah. And Athaliah was the granddaughter of Jezebel who tried to kill the royal line. She was a wicked queen. Tried to kill the royal line. Um, in the New Testament, we don't have any example of a woman pastor or elder anywhere. There's no example of that. By the way, did women play an important role in Christ's ministry? Yes. Sure they did. Yes. Yeah, sure they did. They played a significant role, but they were not leadership roles, all right? They were support roles. Um, you see Aquila and Priscilla taught Apollos, but note that it was Aquila and Priscilla together that taught Apollos, not Priscilla teaching Apollos. No woman preached a message or taught publicly in the New Testament. We can't find any example of that. And there's no women apostles or evangelists and no female disciples. Christ did not have three or four women as his disciples as well. Um, now, someone has said Gilbert Bilzekian, who goes to Willow Creek Church in Deerfield, which is uh, Bill Hybels, who, by the way, has a woman elder on staff. If you go out to their webpage, willowcreek.org, there's Bill Hybels, and I guess there's some woman who's the co-pastor or something like that, and there's, there's three of them there. Um, he said, well, the reason Christ did not have any disciples is because he was just accommodating the male-dominated mindset of his age. Well, what do you know about Christ? That wouldn't have stopped him from doing what was right, would it? 
No. I mean, if it was the right thing to do, he could have cared less what anybody thought about it. I mean, he did that on multiple occasions with the Pharisees, right? He could have cared less what their traditions were. Yeah. Um, and contrary to what many think, Christ elevated the role of women significantly. I mean, if you read John, what we don't read in John is we don't read the facial expressions of the woman at the well. Because she was shocked that Christ would even talk to her. There was, there, if, we had a, if we had a, you know, go back and get a Kodak moment, she would have been shocked that, some, that, a, that a Jewish male would be talking to a Samaritan female. That, that would have been shock on her face. So Christ did not in any way um, denigrate the role of women. He elevated women. And by the way, who was the first one he appeared to in his resurrected form? Mary Magdalene. Don't, don't go there and say that somehow Christ or Christianity oppresses women. They don't. It raises, it elevates women. You want to you talk about being put down, go over to Islam. All right? So when you look at this position, when, and we look at the theological landscape out there, and you go out on the internet and you look at all the resource, research on this, there are really two major camps that you're going to find out there on the internet. You're going to find what we call the egalitarian viewpoint. What's egalitarian? What do you think egalitarian means? Equal. Equal. All right. Now, let's ask the question. Is there a sense in which men and women are equal? There is a sense. Sure. Sure there is. There's a sense that they're different. Yeah. Sure there is. Um, Before God, is a woman any less valuable than a man? Of course not. Of course not. There's no, we're not talking here about spiritual privilege. That's not, even, that's not even what's on the table. But what they want to do is they want to say, look, if you don't make women completely equal to men, not only in terms of their spiritual privilege but role, then somehow you're downplaying or you're oppressing women. That's just not a valid conclusion to draw. This position allows for women elders, pastors, teachers. All right. Um, some names that would fall into uh, Stuart and Jill Briscoe would, would fall into this. Um, Willow Creek, the whole definitely falls into this. Um, I think Kay Arthur is on the line with this as well. All right. Um, and then there's another view called the complementarian view. What's com- what do you think complementarian means? Complement. Yeah. Spiritual equals, but they complement each other. Same thing in the home. In the home, is the man and woman spiritually equal before God? Well, sure. But what do they do? They complement one another within the home. There's a complementary relationship there. Men and women are spiritually equal, but they have a difference in role. And that's all we're talking about here. We're not, we're not talking about intelligence. or we're not, we're not even going there. I know a lot of women that are a lot more intelligent than men I know. So it's not an issue of intelligence or capability or giftedness or anything like that. It only is a difference of role. That's all we're talking about here. Um, Men and women complement one another, not only in the family, but in the local assembly, the church. There's a complementary relationship there. Um, Examples along this line would be uh, MacArthur. The Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which is really interesting. You have the website. They got a whole bunch of articles and stuff that you can read through. It's pretty good. Um, That comes out of uh, Wheaton College. Wayne Grudem is the, um, G-R-U-D-E-M, is the one who um, is the head of that, Grudem, Wayne. And uh, he has some good material out there on this whole concept that you can go out and look at and see what he has to say about it. All right? So, in the end, though, where do you want to go? Yeah, let's go to the Bible. What does the Bible say about this? I mean, you know, we can argue all day long about what this person thinks and that person thinks, but ultimately we've got to come to the text of Scripture, and wherever you land on this, you've got to be able to sort it out from the text of Scripture. All right? So that's what we're going to do. Now, what I'm going to concentrate on are the first two passages here and the last two. I'm not going to get into the head coverings and all of that kind of stuff. If you want to go there, go out and read this, because I want to get through this in a finite period of time. 
If we go through all of that, we'll be here forever and a day. So if you want to find out about the Corinthian passages, go to the article and it'll talk about all of that. But I want to really camp on the first two, which are the major textual passages that deal with this. Okay? And if we turn there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, okay? Um, starting in verse 9, okay? And the way I'm going to approach this is I'm going to respond to various questions that people have had. I've done quite a bit of reading on this, by the way, so I've read from both sides of the equation on this. I've read those who are egalitarian, I've read those who are complementarian. And what I've done is I've distilled down the major arguments that the egalitarian people put forth to try and um, bring, to, you know, bring about their concept that men and women are equal. But first let's read the passage, then we'll just go down through the text. Um, Likewise that also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with branded hair, gold or pearls, or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was first for, formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she shall be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. All right, I'm just, I just read the text. Now, as you just read that text, without even trying to interpret it much, what are you led to sort of believe? In, in what context? In the church. In the church. That, by the way, that, that's what we're talking about here. This is not saying women are just a shut up period. That's not what it's talking about. That's not why Paul wrote 1 Timothy. Why did Paul write 1 Timothy? He was giving Timothy instructions for the church. That's absolutely. 1 Timothy 3.15. All right. It says here in 1 Timothy 3.15, um, If I delay, you may know how, you, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul's writing about how to respond within the local congregational assembly of the church. That is the context of 1 Timothy. He's not saying in all contexts. He's talking about the local assembly of believers context. Barry, you're going to... Yeah, why, why can, you, can you give us some clarification on braided hair? What is the significance of Okay. This also pops up, by the way, over in 1 uh, Peter chapter 3. All right. And the idea here is that in those days, you're either really wealthy or really poor. I mean, really, there was no middle class. You were one or the other. And if you go back and read literature of that day, the women who were wealthy really liked to display their wealth by braiding their hair, and they would have pearls in their hair, which, by the way, was one of the most costly things of those days, pearls. Um, and they would come in. Can you imagine, you know, you're in a church service, and in walk Mrs. Big Dollars, and she's got her, you know, $50 million of your money in her hair, um, just flaunting it and displaying, you know, a, 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 I don't know, a gaudy sexual femininity. It's kind of tough to worship in that kind of environment, isn't it? And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, if you're a woman, where's your true beauty lie? Your looks? No. Within. Within. That's where the godliness lies. If you're, if you come into the church service and you're all dialed up to the guilds, you're going to detract from the worship of the church. So the phrase for the style in which things could be anchored within between the three strings. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and it was, what it was is, is it was an issue of vanity. Yeah. Now the idea here, look by the way, what just an aside, what this passage is saying is it's, it's telling women, don't come to church ugly. That's not what it's talking about. Comb your hair for Pete's sake. You know? Um, yeah, don't, that's not what it's talking about. What Paul is talking about is, okay, let, let's, just, let's just go up to 20,000 feet. All right? Look at all the magazines out there. What do all the magazines say about women? 
How you look? It's supposed to be glamorous. Glamorous. I mean, every one of them, right? Do you see any women's, you know, ugly women's magazine? <laughs> you ever see that? No. No, what do you see? You see, you know, Woman's Day, Cosmopolitan, and all the people in there don't exist. But you, know, you realize that all the women in there don't really exist in real life? They're all computer-generated. They're all, they're all airbrushed. They don't exist. I told you about the man I was talking to who sells EMC disc arrays, which are large, massive disc arrays that um, are used to store things. And he went to this particular account that he had in Detroit, Michigan. I think it was Detroit, Michigan. And he said it was really weird because it's a big building. He goes in there and he's hearing all these weird sounds behind all these doors. Don't know what's going on. Come to find out, it, is a, it was a massive brothel and it was one of the major clearinghouses for pornographic um, photographs. And what they would do, they, they told him, so well, what we do, we take all the photographs, like for all the pornographic magazines, and they airbrush them all. They, they, they you know, they, they get rid of the blemishes and the spots or whatever. And whatever you see in those magazines on the shelf, that is really not that person. It's something totally different. That's the world. This, this is how the world sees this stuff. All right? It's all about the externals. Look at the world. What is it about? The externals. What's the big gaga thing on what is it? The Emmy Knights or whatever. Well, who's wearing what? And what's showing? Good night, you know. I got better things to do than go there. Yeah. Um, a lot of them have been by women. We're going to get to that passage. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where do the, where, where by and large, where do the cults, when do the cults ply their trade? In the evening? During the day. Yeah. We're going to get to that passage, so, so don't, don't worry, we'll get there. I'll answer that. But the whole point here, that the, the, what Paul is trying to say there, is that, look, within the church, the women within the church, how are you to appear? You're to appear with godliness. That's to be the great charm that you have. Not how, how much money you can sink into your hair or your clothing or things like that. And in those days, really, it was a, a, a black and white kind of issue in the sense that you were either... You're a woman that was lucky to have something to wear to church or you're a woman that had so much money you didn't know what to do with it so you could string all kinds of pearls through your hair and gold and all that kind of stuff and show off your wealth. That's how people showed off their wealth in those days. It's not what they drove to church. It's what they had in their hair when they got there. All right. Where should your values lie? I mean, you know, it's not saying don't look reasonable, but I think, I think we all know when you've gone overboard. I think we can all agree that there's a certain overboardness to things. Where'd you get $1,000? Yeah, that's quite a bit. Yeah, that, that seems, if you're, if you're thinking, I know guys that think more of that into getting some hair plugs so they don't look bald, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, you look at the stars, you know, they spent a day and a half to get ready for Emmy night. They figure it's comfortable and normal. Yeah. Okay. But maybe not. All the point that Paul's trying to make here is that when women, within the church, women should come with the garb of good works and, and godly character. That, that is what God values. That's the value before God. He's not saying come to church ugly. He's not saying don't comb your hair. He's saying, look, there's a reasonableness here. But doesn't he want you to come as you are? He wants you to come as you are, but look, I comb my hair. I shave my face. I wear clean clothes. I don't just come in, you know, cutoffs and, you know, tennis shoes with holes in the toes and everything else. I mean... You need to comb yourself. Yeah, when you come before... When, when you, if... God's here. You don't want to come here as a slob. All right. It's a matter of respect. It's a matter of respect. And I, res you know, it's a matter of respect for you. If I, if I come in here, you know, 
like I hadn't taken a bath in two weeks, you know, to really affect our ability to study. But we're getting off on this. We're not going to get to the text. Well, I so I need to get back to that. You have an empty classroom if you come and eat it. Yeah, I wouldn't have anybody. Yeah, essential convictions, preference. What he's talking about a lot of is a whole bunch of preferences. Yeah. Right, you need to be balanced. You can wear you can wear a nice dress to church without spending twelve, you know, five thousand dollars on it. I mean, we all know that, right? I, I have a nice suit, but I don't have Armani. You know, I mean, there there's a reasonableness. We all understand that. And this was a problem in the early church because not only does he address it, but Peter does as well. But, but I do think, if it, you know, I think there's a, I mean, go look at the mall. Go, go walk in J.C. Penney. And you've got a small section over here for, you know, men's cologne type things. Then you've got this massive section for the women. You go there and you've got a smaller section for men. You've got this massive section for men. Generally, and, and it's generalities. Generally, the female gender spends much more money and spends much more time on appearance than the men do generally and Paul is saying don't focus on that focus on the internal and it's true both of us have to do that because men can be just as vain yeah Yeah. And and the difficult it didn't this didn't apply to them. Right. But the principle still the same. And if you go back and read stuff in church history, you find that you know the way, just the general way women, the wealthy women of that day comported themselves was in an extreme extremely ostentatious gaudy manner. And we see that today as well. Now, not as many back then were able to do it like you can today, but still, that was the tendency. And that's what Paul's trying to get at here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. All right, but so we beat that to death. If we don't have, we'll be on that the rest of the day. And we're not going to get through the rest of the text. All right. So when when you look at this, just on the outside, it would suggest that within the local assembly of the church, the role of the woman is to be a learner, 
She's not to be the teacher. She's not to be the leader. She is to be the learner. By the way, that was a step up in those days because the Pharisees and the Jewish people said if a woman learns something about the law, it's pretty irrelevant whether she does or not. The fact that, that she would even be elevated to the point within Christianity of learning and being part of that was a significant step up. Right. They were told, you know, go. I mean, that's why the one happens says about if you have a question, go home and talk to your husband about it. Yeah. Have him explain it to you because the women were just to sit there and be quiet and learn. Because in that culture, in that um, that time in history, that was what was acceptable. Well, not only that, but the women were not even. It was not even important that they learn anything. Whether they were there or not was irrelevant, right. for the most part. And Paul is saying, no, they need to learn. They need to be part of that. They need to be in there. So that, there was an elevation, all right, at that point. You go look at the synagogues, and, you know, the women were in the back row, if not out the door. It was irrelevant whether they even went to the synagogue. And you... What's that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they were elevated. But, but some people say, all right, I read that passage... And then they have these objections. I'm just going to look, go down through some of these objections. And again, all the stuff is out on here that can fill it out a little bit. They say, well, the word in like manner says likewise. When you see likewise in your Bible, it means in like manner. Paul had just got finished talking about the men praying. He said, I want men everywhere to pray with lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, praying for your leaders, praying for that. In the same way, I want women to... And then he launches into the women thing. And they say, well, what Paul is saying is just as I've commanded the men to pray, and I've read this, just as I've commanded the men to pray in the church, I want women to pray in the church. All right, you start, follow the argument? Mm -hmm. All right. However, when you look at this word here, all right, it doesn't make grammatical sense to refer back to 1 Timothy 1.8. It's going forward. It's a, it's a word that goes forward, not backwards. And also when you look at, some people say, well, Paul is really commanding women to pray like men, then why would he tell them to be in silence? Yeah, there's no contextual basis for that in this passage. People can say that, but there's no textual basis for it in this passage. I, 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 that's one of the arguments that people say. And we're going to get on to some more of those in a minute. Um, by the way, we're not fighting. You understand that? All right, good. All right. And the word for men in verse 8 is andros. I want the males to pray. It's not anthropos. What's anthropos? Anthropos is mankind. He's talking about men versus women in terms of gender, not in terms of humanity. Do you understand? You get that? All right. Also, the word like manner does not mean in the same way as men are doing it, but in the same way that I'm commanding men to pray, in the same way I'm commanding them to do this, I'm commanding women to do this. And then in like manner, in chapter 3, verse 1, I'm talking about elders. In like manner, I'm talking about deacons. In like manner, I'm talking about deaconesses. It's the way in which he is saying it. It's not trying to make an equality along the way. Do you understand what's going on here? In the same way that I've commanded men to pray, I'm commanding women to do this, I'm commanding elders to do this, I'm commanding deacons to do this. All right? And that's what you find here in 1 Timothy 3.8 and 3.11. So to say that, well, Paul is commanding women to pray just like men, that's not what the text is saying here. He's saying, in the same way I have commanded men to pray, I've commanded women to do this. Now, let me ask a question. Is it okay, and I don't want to get in too deep into this because you've got to read the paper on this, but would it be okay for a woman to pray publicly in church? Yes. yes. Why? I agree, but why? Because of the equality of Scripture. No, that's not, that's not... 1 Corinthians 11 talks about women praying. And so when the women pray in church, how are they to pray? 
with their heads covered. We can go, I don't want to get into that, but read the paper on that. But I assume that when Paul says when the women pray, I'm assuming that it's okay for women to pray because he said when they pray. So I don't see any problem with women praying in the church. That's, I don't see any issue with that. Paul's not prohibiting prayer here. That's not what he's doing because other passages will bring to bear that, yes, women do pray in the church. All right? We're talking here about the, the proclamation of the word in the local assembly. All right? So that's the first thing. They want to try and get rid of that. And I, by the way, I've distilled this much information down to these five slides. So, And then say, well, the phrase that says, I do not allow a woman to teach or to usurp authority refers to abusive authority only. It's just referring to women who abuse that role. And it's not a general prohibition. Follow what they're saying? I don't want a woman to usurp, to, to grab authority and um, be abusive over men. I, I don't want a woman to do that. Do you follow what they're... It's not abusive. Yeah. Also, um, just going back to the historical context of it, in that time they were talking a lot about cults and a lot of the women were involved in the cults Right. And so that was part of his thinking. He's like, well, he's looking at the women saying, okay, the women are going to all tangled up in this stuff. Don't let them on the altar. You know what I'm saying? We're going to hit that in the next slide. Mm -hmm. That kind of argument. So you've got all the arguments ahead of time. I just wrote a few times. Okay. <laughs> um, the word for usurp authority here is a, is a word that's only used here in the New Testament. It's not used anywhere else. It's authentane. What do you think we get from that? Authority. Authentane. All right? And it literally means to take authority over. That's what the word literally means in the Greek text, to take authority over. And here's the, here's the thing. Usurping authority is wrong for men as well as women, right? If I usurp authority, if I grab authority, I'm just as bad as a woman grabbing authority. So why would Paul just hit the women on this issue and not the men? Because it's, it's wrong for both. It doesn't make any sense for him. If he's saying, I don't want a woman, this is the point. If he is saying, I don't want a woman to grab authority, all right, why is he only talking about women and not men? Because it's wrong for either gender to grab authority. Because men are assumed to have the authority. No, that's not what's going on here. Why would he? Abusive authority is wrong whether you're a man or a woman. All right. Yeah, both of them are wrong. Um, and to say that a woman must not take authority is different than saying a woman may not be delegated authority. Now, here's the, here's the big one. And this is where a lot, a lot of um, the egalitarians sort of slide by this issue. They say, well, it's wrong for a woman to take authority, but she can be granted the authority. Follow? In other words, it would be wrong. And this is sort of where Bill Hybels and the whole Willow Creek people go. They say, well, it would be wrong for a woman to come in and take authority, but as the leaders of the church, or as the leadership of the church, we could grant that authority to a woman. So she's not taking it for herself, but she's been granted that authority. Follow? The way they get around this? Okay? Um, but here's a couple of problems with that. Two problems. And by the way, I'm distilling a lot of stuff down. I can't cover all of this, all the arguments in the class here. If we did, we'd be here for the next 10 weeks. I can't do that. Um, I'm trying to hit the high points. And this is it. I can't grant authority if, I, if it's not my authority to grant. Follow that? That's like, that's like a man saying, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm not very smart. I'm going to delegate the spiritual authority of our home to my wife. Can he do that? No, he can't, because it's not his to grant. It, it's, not, it's not the role of the, of the elders of the church to be able to grant something that God does not give them the ability to grant. You follow what's going on here? And here's the other problem with this. How can a woman sidestep this to be a teacher, and then it comes along and say, I don't permit her to speak or to... I don't let man or speak or take authority over man, but to be in silence. How can you be in silence while being granted the authority to teach? You've got a contradiction in the text. 
Again, what is the context of this? It's the local assembly. It's the church. It's not... That, that's what we're talking about here. All right? So when you, when you look at this argument, it really... I, I don't believe this argument holds water. Now, a lot of people say, and, and there are some even probably in our church, who say, well, if I grant the woman the ability... The, you know, if I, if I delegate to a woman the right to preach or to teach or whatever, then that's okay. Because she's not taken upon herself, it's been granted to her. The problem with that is that it's not uh, something that can be granted on that level. I do not believe. Then how much weight should be put um, in, into the cultural context of this? You've got to put some, but, the, but that's the next, I think it's the next slide. Let me see if it's the next slide. Yeah, it's the next slide. Um, and there's two slides after this that will hit that question. Because some would then say, okay, wait a minute. Uh, this was a problem only in the Ephesian church. It really wasn't a... It, Paul's just addressing the Ephesian church issue. This is not something that is binding on all churches of all times. It was a problem that was unique to the local assembly of the church in Ephesus. And that's what Paul is talking about. All right? He's talking within that constrained context. Okay? Follow? It's just the Ephesian church. Okay. The problem is, if you look at all of Paul's epistles, they were polemical in nature. What's polemical? Pardon? Well, they were to the leaders, but what is a polemic? What's a polemic? A polemic is you're dealing with an issue. You're dealing, you're trying to straighten out some problem, right? Galatians was it polemical? Was Paul trying to straighten out a problem in the churches of Galatia? Sure, he was. Corinthians, was that polemical? Yeah. Written to Corinth. Yeah. Uh, Colossians, was that a polemical book written to the church of Colossae? Yeah. yeah. If you want to go down that road, what you basically say is, look, none of this applies to any of us today because it only applied to the local assemblies to which Paul wrote. So all the issues in Colossians applies only to the church of Colossae and nowhere else. You follow? You follow what's going on? <clears throat> That's where the hyper-dispensationalists go on other things. But basically they say, this doesn't apply to me. First Timothy doesn't apply to me because it only applies to the people in the church at Ephesus and not to any other church. It was just local to that. So all of the commands that Paul is giving, all of the teaching that Paul is doing, only applies to Ephesus. And we can ignore everything else. So we could ignore all, all the issues that apply. Well, the, the, the thing on elders, that's just the Ephesus church. We can do whatever we want in our own church. The ones on deacons, we do... What you've done, you've just eviscerated the scripture. It's just a history book. It's nothing more. And I can ignore whatever I want because I can always say, well, that just refers to that context. Now, let me, on the flip side, is there some truth to the fact that this was an issue in Ephesus? Sure there was. We're not saying, don't want to go the other side and say it doesn't apply. And there wasn't a specific historical context to it. You don't want to go there. But you don't want to say that it's just that and not applicable to the church as a whole. You can't go there. And this is what it was. To encourage Timothy with the doctrine of defection in the Ephesian church and instruct him how to conduct oneself in the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. This was in the church. In any case... This is the other thing. On what basis does Paul in this passage say that the woman is to be to learn in silence and subjection in the local assembly? What is the ultimate basis for that? Which is? And Adam was created first. And the woman was created to do what? To be a complement to him. It goes back to the creation. Now, here's, here's another way some people like, they sort of like slide around this. All right? They say, well, here's the, here's the deal. In a fallen context, you're right. Women are to be in silence. They are to be in subjection. In the home, they are to, you know, um, follow the headship of their husband. But in the church, we... we, we we are redeemed from all of that, and we go back to a pre-fall condition where men and women were 100% equal. 
Well, wait a minute. Before the fall, was Adam and Eve 100% equal? Spiritually, yeah, but... No. Because when did the humanity fall into sin? When Eve ate or Adam ate? Adam. Adam was... The, even in the pre-fall condition, before the fall, before sin entered the world, who was the head of the first home? Adam was. So you can't go there. You can't say that. You can't say, we just go back to the pre-fall. And in the church, you know, all these role distinctions are erased and we're just one big happy family. You can't go there because that's not what this text allows. All right? So you can't say that this is just talking to an individual church problem in the Ephesians church. Although it was, that there was this problem there. The principle applies to all of the church. All right, and then here's another, well, and I've, heard, I've read this. Well, what Paul is doing is he, he's telling these women who are untaught not to take authority. It, it's, they're, they're not trained. They're not, they're not, um, they're, they're not uh, theologically adept. They, sh they shouldn't be teaching. Well, let me ask a question. Is it okay for a theologically untrained man to teach? So why does he hit just... The women. And by the way, what was the problem in the Ephesian church? It was not just the women who were untrained, but who, who else did Paul beat on throughout 1 Timothy? He said, you've got men in there that you know, think that they know what's going on and they don't have any idea. He, he's hitting both of them there. He wouldn't just focus in on one gender here. If that's what he was saying. If that was what he was saying. If what he was trying to say is this, he wouldn't be focusing on just women. He'd be focusing on men because... The false teaching in the early church was mainly done by men, not women. All right? And it applies to men and women alike. Um, and then, well, and then I've read this. Well, this is referring to the home. This is just talking about the, within the home. It's not talking about within the church. It's talking about in the home. Well, why did Paul write 1 Timothy? It's the church, not the home. There, is there anything in this context that would lend you to believe that this is talking about the home? No, it's not. It's not talking about the home. It's talking about the local assembly of the church. And by the way, if you take this a logical stream, what, what can a woman not do? If you say it goes to the home, what's the woman not to do at home? Can't talk, can't, talk, can't teach her husband. Now that'd be a problem, wouldn't it? No, that doesn't, that, that's not what this is saying. This is a forced interpretation on the passage. All right? Depends on whether I get done with it this week. I just want to recommend a good book, but I can recommend it next week. Okay. It's called, and I forget the author, I used to read for somebody there. It's called Four Views of Women in Ministry. Okay. Yeah, that would be good. To, uh, so, I mean, and, and it's all and, and by the way, just, just, I appreciate that because I'm not trying to sit here and say, I believe I'm right, or I wouldn't be teaching this, right? All right. But you're going to have to sort through this. And you need to go out there and you need to read the literature and you need to read what it's saying. And all I'm saying is when I look at what the egalitarian people are saying, trying to do with this text... I don't see within the text support for their viewpoint. I don't see it from this text. They think they have it. I don't see it from the text. And what I have found in many cases is instead of letting the text tell us, in some of their cases, instead of letting the text drive their interpretation, they have an interpretation that they're forcing into the text. Now we all have the danger of doing that, don't we? You just need to be careful that wherever you land on this, you can support it from Scripture. That's what you need to be able to do. All right? I find it interesting that if you look through the Scripture, there are a few Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked about her last week. Yeah.
Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> he will do something very unexpected. And I think sometimes when he puts specific people now in short positions, it can sometimes be surprising. Well, yeah, I mean, she, if she wasn't supposed to be there, she wouldn't have been there. Right. But All right. I mean, I don't think we can ignore. No, I don't think, I don't. That he does and has right. done this. That's not to negate what the scriptures are teaching. Right. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. I think that there's a reason that Deborah had to be there because there wasn't any men that do that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But they ran it together. Yeah. 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 It wasn't that at all. And that. Right. Yeah, and, and in this case here, he's talking about this is the local where there's preaching and teaching going on. This is not talking about the Sunday school class where women and, a, and her husband work with kids. That's not that's not what's in view here. This is what's in view here is the corporate assembly when you come together and the word of God is preached. That's the context. These other contexts, that's not what's being taught here. So when we look at First Timothy here, what is the conclusions we can draw? This is what I believe it says. Within the, within the assembly of the church, it's the man who's given the role and place of authority of teaching. The woman is to learn in silence and all subjection to that teaching. This is not only includes her demeanor, which is of quiet submission, but also her role, that being listener and not the teacher. What do we mean by that? In the local assembly. In, when the church gathers to worship, preaching. Talk about preaching. We're not talking about a Sunday school class. We're talking about preaching. That's, that's the context we're talking about. That's the role. The place and authority of teaching is derived from God's creative order, which transcends time and culture. Why? Because that's God's creative order. Adam was first formed, then Eve. The difference between men and women in the church is not one of value or spiritual privilege, but of role only. Role. Far from being a lowly calling, a woman has a high calling in her role of raising up a godly heritage through motherhood, the training of young lives. She is saved from the stigma of the fall by passing on a godly heritage to the next generation. I didn't get to go into all that she'll be saved by childbearing. But that, if you look at the paper, I think that's what's being borne out there. Where's the woman's greatest influence? In the, In the home with her kids. So why don't you just say the senior pastor, the head of the local church. That's really what this context is talking about. So that, I think. so that in our minds we can think, oh, then there's this trickle-down. Yeah. Right. And that's what we're going to talk about here now. If you go to Titus 2, which is, the, which is a great passage complementary to this. What's Paul talk about in Titus chapter 2? This, this is where women need to get, step up to the plate. And I'm challenging all the women in here to step up to the plate here. Not me, but Paul is really challenging you to step up to the plate. All right. Um, in Titus, he had just talked about the qualifications for the elders, all right, in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. I want you to teach healthy, sound doctrine that produces spiritual maturity. And what are you to teach? Within the context, what is it that you are to be teaching? Well, I want you to teach older men. And Paul 
um, splits the church into older men, older women, younger men, younger women. All right? Now, and within the context, who is the older man and older women? That would be people in their 50s to 60s in that culture. Usually an older woman was one who had, had passed the childbearing ages, age and was now the role of the grandparent. That's generally the context here. So older men, older women think 50s, 60s. I want older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. What is the character of the older men in the church? Spiritual maturity and stability. That's what you're to teach the older men. Spiritual maturity and stability. We could spend a lot of time on what all of these words mean. I, I don't have time to do that. But the big picture is, when you look at an older man in the church, he has to be a model of spiritual maturity and solid character. Older women also, likewise, oh, there's that same word. In the same way I'm commending men to be spiritually mature, likewise, I want the older women to be reverent in behavior. What's reverent mean? Respect. Respectful. Not slanderers, not slaves to much wine, not to be drunkards or alcoholics, not to be slanderers. What's that? Gossip. Well, when you get a whole bunch of women together, what's normally do most women not all women, but most women. Yeah, they talk about everybody, don't they? By the way, men do the same thing, but... Um, and that says here... Yeah, and they say, they are to teach what is good. Women, wait, wait, I thought you said women aren't supposed to teach. Well, what is Paul telling women to do here? To teach what is good. Okay, what is it that they're to teach? And to train the younger women... To, to love their husbands and love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Blasphemy. What are the older women to do in this passage? What, what, is, the, what is the goal? What is, what is the marching order for the older woman in the church? Teach the younger women. Who are the younger women in context? Well, chronologically younger, spiritually younger, but the main difference is the younger women are still in the childbearing age. They're still raising their families. The older women have gone beyond that. They're, they're, they're in the grandparent role. But the younger women are to be trained by the older women. Why? It is not wise, I'll be honest with you, it is not wise for older men or even younger men to be training younger women. That's not a wise thing. When I taught the singles in harmony, the guy I worked with gave me all kinds of grief because I was not more friendly with all the women in the class. And I told you before, there were reasons I wasn't. I wasn't obnoxious, I don't think. I don't think I was rude. But I'm certainly not going to be their bosom buddy either. There's a need for this in the church. Yeah. You're doing this, right? You're starting. This ministry now has in place a Titus team. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we are going to be having a meeting on, it's not this Monday, the next one I think it is. Um, we've already had one. The second one is going to be on the nuts and bolts implementation of it. Okay. What does it look like? How often we meet? And how, what's the duration? Mm -hmm. um, and it's been attempted several times in the past <laughs> 10 years, but this is going to be packaged a little differently. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what Paul is saying here, that, that the. Because a lot of people say, well, what? one of the objections, this is an aside, they say, well, what if the Holy Spirit gifts a woman to teach and to preach in their mind, to preach, to teach? And why would he do that if they're not allowed to teach? Well, they are allowed to teach. There is a role for women. There's a role that, and by the way, this is a role that only women can fill. Men can't do this. 
Alright, if I have some woman come up to me and she's crying because she can't deal with her toddler, I have no idea what to tell her. Alright? But what if she came up to an older woman that's been down that road and, and has faced that and has dealt with that and can be with her and can talk with her and to encourage her and to help her? That's what is needed. That's where the women need to step up to the plate. And by the way, there's a massive need for that. Massive in the church. And what happens in a lot of churches is women don't do that. They instead, they want to come over here and be the pastor or the preacher. And they're abandoning the younger women. The younger women desperately, in our day and age, the younger women desperately need help. Why is that? Because they're isolated. And the only information they're getting is from Oprah, good night, or something like that. That's, that's where are they finding their relationship information from the soap operas and television. That'll really melt your brain. They need younger, older women. And why is that? So that the word of God is not blasphemed. What's it mean to blaspheme, to malign, to say something evil against? The older women are to be teaching the younger women to, to love their husbands and love their kids and, and to, to, to be self-controlled and disciplined. And I've often used the example, when you look at Little House on the Prairie, what home did you want to be part of, Ingalls or Olson's? Even, even the pagans who watch that show know that there was something normal and healthy about the Ingalls household. And the last thing they wanted is be with Mrs. Battleaxe Olson and Nels who was beat to death by her. And we laugh at that. And we, but look, even the world sort of knows in the back of their head that there's something normal about this. This is where the women need to step up to the plate. This is, this is really, this is a desperate need in our churches today. Because you have women come to the church with their kids. They have no context. Their mom is off in another state. They have no friends. You look out on the prairie. Where did people build their houses next to one another? Why? Because the women needed other women to help. And now you've got women that are just on their own and all they're getting is stuff from Cosmopolitan Magazine and Oprah Winfrey and all this other kind of stuff. And you wonder why the mess we're in is the mess we're in. No. Yes. Desperate. And and there's there's a vast mission field or or, or clientele base out there for this because it, it's, it's a desperate need it's a desperate need you know? yeah parenting that's a good one with Ann and her mom where they did that parenting from the heights you know that's the kind of stuff that we desperately need in the church why because it makes God look good when you have a healthy home it makes God look good. Now, you go back to the Ingalls house, you know, go back and watch the little house on the prairie. How did Charles treat Kath? What's her name? Caroline. Caroline. How did he treat her? With respect. With respect. He treated her like gold. I mean, he, there wasn't any, he didn't beat on her or anything like that. And how did she treat him? With respect. And then you go over to the Olson's household and there's total chaos, chaos and confusion. <laughs> oh, no. This, this is desperately needed because this is what makes God look good and and women need to really get involved in this and step up to the plate and like you said they need to be reparented because they don't know how, how to parent and they're being told that you know look out for number one and 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 you know kids get in the way and boy I'll tell you and, and that's why you have the divorce rate through the roof yeah and, and here's the other thing. You, go, you pick, pick 100, go out to the Midway Mall, pick 100 men at random, put them in a room, and monitor their conversations. What do they talk about? 
for sports. Not not. Well, assume the chick part isn't there. What are they talking about? Sports. May talk about politics, but what's the other big thing? No. 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 Where do you work? What do you do for a living? Right? What do you do for a living? I mean, they might get the other, but, but generally the, the top three would be sports and politics, and what do you do for a living? Now, pick 100 women at random, stick them in the same room, what are they going to talk about? They're kids. How many kids do you have? How many grandkids do you have? Oh, I got, here, they show the pictures of the kids. All right. It's all relationship stuff. Why is that? That's how God created us. That's how God created us. And so what do women desperately need? They need relationship. And, they de and by the way, men do too. Don't say men don't. Men do. But women have a great need for that, especially in the context of raising their kids in their home. And by the way, you know, if you had a woman come in here who was just at the end of her wits with three screaming toddlers, it would be great to have an older woman who could come alongside her and encourage her. And say, you know, I had four kids. You've only got three. You've got it easy. I had four of them. And, and be able to help her work through that. It's a mentoring role. You know, I look at Sammy, who, who's a single parent. I mean, good night. I mean, look what she's been through. What can she do to help a woman who's in that same spot? There, there's a mentoring there that needs to be done. And that's what Paul is talking about. And he's saying, and, and, and here's the context. So that the word, the word of God is not blasphemed. And he wants the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects a model of good works and your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about you. Slaves, be submissive to your own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not stealing, but showing all good faith. Listen, this is, this is the reason for all of this. So that in all things the word of God may be Adorned. How do you adorn the Word of God? How do you adorn our message of salvation? By having a life that adorns it. What does it mean to adorn something? To dress it up, make it look good. How do you make God look good? I make God look good when I treat my wife with love and respect and dignity and honor. I make him look good when I do that. She makes God look good when she treats me with respect and love and honor. We make God look good when I'm a good employee and I, I do a good job for my company. That's how you make God look good. Why is it? Because God wants all men everywhere to be saved. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What makes the gospel attractive is when you have normal, sane homes. And when you look at the world, you see absolute chaos and breakdown of family and everything's melting down. And you look at a Christian home and you see stability, you see love, you see honor, you see healthy relationships. What does that tell the world? Hopefully. They got something going there. And I want to be part of the Ingalls household. I don't want to be part of the Olson household. By the way, and... and, and there might be a few things we'll say on this next week, but here's the big, big 20,000 foot picture. Women have a desperately needed role in the church of teaching, and that is to teach the younger women who desperately need that. Desperately. Because they don't have it, and they're getting all their information from the world, which is going to scramble their brain. It's all the wrong stuff. So what is the fine line between preaching and teaching? Women teaching women or even preaching to women, there's no issue at all. If, if Ruth has a big women's conference and she's got 6,000 women show up and she gets up and gives an address, that's great. It's fine. Because that's the context in which God has put her in. But if all of a sudden she's going to hold um, evangelistic crusades or preach or become a pastor, now, you've got, now you're in violation of 1 Timothy, I believe. But there's a role. There, there's a deep role. And when you go that, when you start doing that role, you'd be, what's that lady, that Beth Moore? Yeah. Yeah. The one that just did it, you know? Yeah, look at her ministry, you know? So anyways, we're out of time.
So we might finish this up next week. There's a few things yet to say on this. So, Father, thank you for this day and for helping us in our discussion here. And I pray that you help us to ponder these truths and pray that whatever we do, we may do it to honor you. That's why we're here. And whatever actions or positions we take, we want to make sure they're in accordance with your word so that we may receive your blessing. And we just thank you for this day in Christ's name. Amen.